Good morning, Renewal. Good morning. I love hearing these stories, and that's old Robbie Rob, I call him, Robinson. He uh, helps out with our men's ministry, too, here, and some of you guys have played basketball on the court with him a little bit, and we'll get these lights up in a minute so you, I can see you guys, and y'all can't just see me. That's a little awkward, right? But we're going to keep talking nonetheless, right? Yeah, there we go. I can see you. Yeah. Well, if you haven't played basketball with us, I'm going to tell you, if you come out on the court, just make sure, like, after you leave, all your limbs are intact after Robinson plays with you. All right? Robinson, I call him Hackershack. I love that brother, but he's an awesome man of God, and um, he just had a birthday this weekend, so he probably, oh, it's today. It's today. Oh, so if you see him, go give him high five, give him some love. He's an old man now. No, no, he's not old. He's, he's a young guy. Um, love that brother. So I've known him for a while. So give him, give him a hug, give him a high five, tell him happy birthday. He's been here for some, quite, quite some time. And you'll see those each week as we're doing these renewal stories, as we're talking about crossing lines in this series and building relationships and, and crossing over and reaching out to our neighbors and loving those that are not like us or that may be like us. What does it look like? So we just want to highlight some of the stories of the people that have become a part of our congregation and are jumping here and at, at renewal. So you'll see those stories each week um, throughout the next month or so. Um, today, if you haven't noticed, I know Pastor Luke talked about it earlier, but today is Family Sunday. Uh, we have our fall festival after service, so if you see my little girls running around with costumes on, my, one of them's like a bad girl, I think one's Moana, they, I, I, I wore a costume today, all right? Y'all ready for it? Y'all, can y'all guess who I am? The Sermonator. That's good, right? That's good, right? I got y'all, right? I was about to say Satan Slayer or something, but that didn't, that didn't, but that's Jesus, right? No, sir, Sermonator, Sermonator, right? <laughs> y'all like, come on, Pastor D, that's cheesy. No, but today we're going to get back in our Cross in Line series. And again, like I told you before, about a few weeks ago, we started the series where we started around Matthew 22, uh, verses 34 through 40, where, we talk, where Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says to love God with all your mind, soul, spirit, and your heart. But he also says to love your neighbor as your Love your neighbor as yourself. So this is where we get this idea of crossing lines. And in that passage, Jesus is not with people that he likes being around. These are Pharisees and Sadducees. So he's literally crossing lines and engaging and doing life with these folks that he doesn't necessarily like, the guys that are actually going to kill him eventually. So that's where we get this whole crossing lines. So we see these lines that divide us, the differences between us and other people. And the, the point is that we, we don't just want to see the lines, but we want to step over the line and into life with one another and do life with each other. So this is where we get this idea of crossing lines. We've been in for a few weeks. Last week we talked about friendship, which was challenging. It was, it was good and encouraging. The week before we talked about widows and orphans and, 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 and the ministry to the least likely. And the week before that we had started the series. So if you have not been catching up or staying with us, once you, you can go on our website, you can listen to the podcast and you can catch right up with us to where we are today. Today we're gonna talk about family dynamics. Family dynamics. So if you got a Bible, why don't you open up to Ephesians 6. We're going to read Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4. And also I want to ask you to put a thumb at Matthew 12 also. Matthew 12 verses 46 through 50. So we're going to two different passages today. Ephesians chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 12. Once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me, if you will. If you're able. It's early, so if you got it, once you say got it. 
Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. The text reads, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Flip over to Matthew 12 with me. Matthew 12, verses 46 through 50 reads, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. The very words of God, amen. Today, again, I want to speak on the subject of family dynamics, family dynamics. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time, God. I thank you for your goodness, how much you've loved us, Lord. God, how you stepped out of heaven when you didn't have to. Lord, I pray one thing simply right now, God, that you would hide me behind your cross and let your word go forth and fall afresh on your people. Have your way in this place, God. See your name we all said together. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> now, family, family dynamics. This is tough for some, if not most of us, because sometimes everyone in your family is not a Christian. Everyone doesn't believe like you do. And in light of what we just talked about last week with dealing with friends and the fact that close friends or the fellowship revolves around the fact that we have a similar faith, what do you do with the fact that all of your family, family members may not believe? Or they may not believe on the level that you do. Presents an issue, right? Presents problems. So we, we need to dive into this topic of family dynamics and see how biblically Jesus teaches us to walk through life with our family members. And today, specifically, I want to talk about how to deal specifically with how kids honor their parents, how parents raise their kids biblically, Number three, how to deal with family members in general. How do you deal with family members in general when it comes to fellowship and crossing lines? See, all of these coincide with one another because if children are raised up in the admonition and the fear of the Lord, no matter how far they stray away, they will never stray too far away from their upbringing. But what does that look like to raise children biblically? I mean, what if you don't want kids? What happens when they get older and they leave the house and, and then how do you deal with family in general? We must answer these questions if we're going to cross lines correctly with our family members. Our, our text here in Ephesians 6, it begins by saying, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now, this is in the context of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, talking about submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. And, and then he starts breaking down what this submission to proper authority looks like by using the family dynamic. He begins with husbands submitting to 
Christ. Then he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Notice the word own, own there. Submit to your own husbands, which hear me is not necessarily talking to all men or submitting to all men or to all husbands, but specifically to your own husband. That's key. We're going to break that down in a couple weeks when we talk about the marriage relationship, but right now it's in the context of what we're talking about today, dealing with this family dynamic and correctly submitting to authority. Now this obedience that Paul says here in this text in regards to kids obeying their parents is given to both parents, not one, not the daddy, but to both of the parents equally. And this is important because sometimes kids, they like to play one over the other or obey one over the other and that should never fly because mama and daddy are on the same page, we're one flesh. So when one is offended, the other one's offended. When one says no, the other one says no. There should be no such thing as the good cop and the bad cop in the family relationship between parents. One flesh. Now, this is key because if your kids are anything like mine, they're a little sneaky. They're sneaky. They, they like to come to daddy and ask me a question and I'm saying, no, you can't do that. And then they'll sneak on over and go ask mommy the same question and, and, and they should get the same answer because mommy and daddy are on the same page. But on the, on the other side of that, when they do that, there's some discipline that happens because of, cause now they dishonored and disrespected me and my no. But on the other side, family, they need to see the oneness between mama and daddy. Right there, they need to know that mom and daddy are on the same page. When we say, when I say no, mama says no, and vice versa. The text says that obeying your parents is right or just, meaning this is what children are supposed to do, which leads to verse two, which says, honor your mother and father. This is the first commandment with a promise, which is that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Now, hear me. This is not pushing your kids towards performance-based salvation or they're saved by their works or they're going to get something by doing this. It's saying that obedience, the obedience of children is the evidence that they love and know God because they are obeying his command. Thus, God will bless them. Now, I want to take this a bit deeper. And I want to speak to the subject that's becoming a little taboo in our culture today which is the discipline of your kids. How do, you, how do you discipline your kids? Reason being is because I don't know about your kids, but they don't come out the womb obedient. I don't care, you can think they're the cutest thing ever, but they don't come, they come out screaming, hollering, ah! when they're hungry, ah, what's the food? When they're dirty, ah, what's the they, they, they want something from you. They're coming out demanding as can be. Out of the womb, they don't come out obedient, so the only way to really get obedience, family, is through discipline. Now hear me, discipline from parents comes from a place of you loving your kids. It's not because you're mad at them, it comes from a place of you loving your kids. See, the definition of obedience is compliance with order, request, law, or submission to another authority. Nobody learns, hear me, nobody learns obedience without discipline. Did you know that in the Old Testament, in the Mosaic law, that if a child struck or cursed their parents, they could be put to death? I mean, Paul lists this off, disobedience to parents in Romans 1.30 as one of the grave sins, 
One of the worst sins. He says, this is one of the worst things you can do. But nowadays, you have parents that refuse to discipline their kids for fear of hurting their personalities, their feelings, or being looked at as bad parents. You can go on down the line. Friends, I want to tell you this. I need you to hear me this. Not disciplining your kids is a form of not loving them. It's a form of not loving them, and it's not biblical. Now, now, now don't, don't run out of here talking about Pastor D is saying he's advocating you need to go beat your kids. That's not what I'm saying. I don't need that ruckus in my life, all right? That's not what I'm saying here. I, I need you to hear me. I'm not saying do that. I don't need that. But hear me, every child is different. Every child needs different discipline. Some need a little tap on the hand. Some, some, some can obey by going to sit in a corner, and that's their discipline in timeout. That didn't work for me. I, that didn't work for me. I don't know about you guys. But, and, 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 and sometimes you need to take a privileged way. You know, for me, it was like Nintendo, no Nintendo. Uh, some, it's like no Playstations. Sometimes that, you got to know your children. Every child is different. And for those that are parents, we have to do the work of discerning and watching your child's personality and who they are in order to know how to discipline them the right way. See, some parents swing the pendulum way too far to the right and way too far to the left. We'll say, well, well, I'm not going to discipline my kids. I'm not going to lay a hand on them, and I'm going to let God form their little personalities however he would. Then on the other side, we say, well, I, I'm, not, I'm going to discipline them every time they do something wrong. I'm not going to spare the rod. I mean, both of those extremes are wrong. I was reading the scripture this week and I was preparing for this sermon and you would be amazed how many scriptures there are that pertain to disciplining your children. I mean, discipline is of God. It's a godly idea. I mean, listen to these verses in Proverbs. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. That's Proverbs 13, 24. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Hence, don't beat him. Proverbs 19, verse 18. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 22, 15. Do not withhold discipline from the child. This is hilarious to me. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. <laughs> if you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Other word, death. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 29, 15. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. Remember that. He gives you rest. He will delight you to your, he'll be a delight to your heart. That, that's key. Proverbs 29, 17. See, friends, hear me. Discipline is a godly idea. Beating them down is not. Which is why in this text it says, fathers, do not provoke, provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, on the other side, letting them do whatever they want to do is not of God either. God doesn't even shepherd us in this way. He, he doesn't let us do whatever we want. There is discipline in our relationships as grown people with God too. Hebrews 12, 6 reads this, my son, do not, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Here's the point. 
Discipline is an act of love. It's an act of love. You only get bothered about something that you care about. I mean, hence, when your kids do something wrong, it bothers you because you care about your kids. And discipline, just like between us and the Lord, it shows them that you care enough for them that you will not let them continue on the wrong path. And hear me, they may not like it in the process. I don't like being disciplined nowadays when I'm going through the ups and the down with the Lord. It never feels good, but in the long run, it pays off. See, when you don't discipline your kids, it shows them that you really don't love them because you don't care. As parents, we have to do the work of leading them well and disciplining them well while they're young. While they're young, or you're going to have a problem on your hands when they get older. And so will the world that they're entering into. You're setting them up to fail without discipline. We are setting our children up for failure without discipline because we're letting them know subliminally that, 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 that anything they do is okay. Anything they do is okay. And, that, that it's not how, and that's not how the world works. That's not how God works, and it's going to leave them flat on their face one day. This is why I hate participation trophies. I mean, what is a participation trophy? Seriously, why? I mean, kids need to experience failures and successes. That's part of life. Kids need to be taught how to work hard, that they can't have everything they want, that the world does not revolve around them. If they don't get it from us as parents, they're going to get it one way or another. My wife and I, I'm not going to say we're experts in anything, but we try to raise our kids the best we know how and teach them the way of the Lord. We, we read the Bible to them every day. We pray, pray with them every day. And if I forget, my kids will let me know about it. Daddy, we forgot to read today, we forgot to pray. They let me know. I call Isabel the prayer police. She, she's that way. She makes sure that we pray every day before we leave the house. We, we try to discipline our kids, and we try not to do it when angry, though. We don't do it when we're angry, but if our kids do something wrong that warrants discipline, we make sure to follow through. Hence, listen to me, consistency in your discipline is very key. I know parents, we get tired from time to time, but you can't discipline them one day for doing something wrong, and then the next day they do, 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 this, they do the same thing and you let it pass. Consistency is key. You got to be consistent. Now, with my kids, now that they're older, and some of them are older, we, we, we make sure they understand why discipline is being enforced. By asking, and we ask them, do you, under, do you know why you're being disciplined right now? Do you know why we're upset? And, and, and if not, we explain it to them. Then we tell them, you are forgiven. You're forgiven. And then we explain the consequence. And sometimes we might not discipline them in the way they need to be disciplined. And by doing so, we're teaching them mercy. Because they deserve something, but they didn't get it. Y'all see the gospel in that process? You see, let me say it again. We confront them on their wrongdoings. Then we have them confess. Let them, they, they, they know what's going wrong. And then we extend forgiveness saying, you are forgiven. And then we hand out consequences or extend mercy. 
That's the gospel. That's what Jesus does for us. Hear me, friends. If discipline is done well as a toddler, then it usually makes for some joyous times with your kids as you dwell with them and you're with them as they grow up. There's joy to be around the kids that are disciplined well. But man, when your kids aren't, they don't have no discipline. They can be as cute as they want to be, but folks don't want to be around kids without discipline. No. <laughs> I have this friend, and they had just had their first child. He's a little boy, and they loved him dearly. We love him dearly. But they were having some issues with raising him and just how to discipline him well. So they came to stay with us for a week, and they started asking us questions about how should I do this, how should we discipline him, and what's good and what's not. And, and mind you, the boy, there's nothing wrong with the boy. Perfectly fine. He's just a little boy. There's nothing wrong with him. So what we did, my wife and I, we just sat back and we just watched the parents interact with the child. And we're sitting there watching. And then one day, they, we had some ice cream and the boy wanted some ice cream. So he went up to his mother. He said, Mom, can I have some ice cream? About three years old. And she says, no. This boy fell out on the ground, kicking and screaming, like yelling hardcore and I'm like what is wrong with this child and I'm sitting there watching him do this and 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 in that instant y'all he, he's kicking and screaming and hollering y'all he would have put Steph Curry to shame right now as he's he's crying out and y'all he didn't have no mouthpiece to throw that's for y'all Warriors fans out there and see the mom's reaction immediately is when she heard him crying like this because she said no was to turn around and to go pick him up. As soon as Kaylee and I saw this, she said, no, don't you do that. And she turned back around, and I kid you not, this boy raised up his head. He's looking around. And then he stood up, and he stopped crying. And then the mom, she turned back around like she was going back to get him, and he fell out on the ground crying again. And, and in that moment, we just fell out laughing. And then, kid you not, this dude started laughing with us. <laughs> you see, friends, friends, children need discipline. They, they need to know right from wrong. And that's the privilege as parents we get to teach them these things. Hear me, as parents... We, we, we may be taking care of our kids and, and loving them well, but, but one, hear me, one is to submit to the other. That's what Paul's saying right here. Your kids should not be running your life. There needs to be a healthy reverence for parents or children, hear me, or children will never be able to understand how to revere a holy God. Or, or make it in this world, or, or at least if they do, they will do it without your help. Children are called to honor their parents. We see this in their text. And, and parents are called to love them well, discipline them well, and lead them in the way of the Lord. For some moms and dads, this is going to be the biggest crossing the line ministry in your life. It is because you will get to spend so much time with your kids. Teach them well, lead them well. And as Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Here's some good resources for you as a parent as you're raising your child. Some good books that we've come across. Parenting, uh, 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family by Paul David Tripp. Anything Paul David Tripp writes is pretty good. Um, Grace-Based Parenting by Tim Kimmel. Love, 
love that book, it's a good one. Um, I read the New City Catechism to my kids every day. It's, it's a simple book. Uh, we read it to them. There's even an app on your phone that they can sing along with it. They love it. Um, also, the Jesus Storybook Bible. We love that Bible. We read it every night if we can. If we're at home, we read that Bible. But, but it, and if you're a, ch- a, a parent in here and you do not have one of those, we have a gift for you in the kids' department. We want to get one in your hands. We give those to each parent in our church. Jesus Storybook Bible is an awesome book. Friends, hear me. Parenting and spending time with your kids outside of spending time with your spouse and God is the most important thing you can do. Friends, there's no greater privilege and joy than to have kids. As Christians, this is one of the first commandments that God gives to Adam and Eve, which is to be fruitful and multiply. It is not an option. For Christians, this is not an option, whether that is through adoption or bearing physically, having children, it's not an option. Now hear me, this does not mean that you need to compete with me and have more than five kids, all right? But for Christians, we are to bear children. Children are not a burden, they're a blessing. Psalm 127 reads this, it says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward, a what? A reward. I mean, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who feels his quiver. Listen to these words. He, he, he shall not be put to shame when, the, when he speaks to his enemies, with his enemies in the gate. This is a gathering place where they were. I mean, he would not be ashamed. These are my kids. What a privilege it is to be able to extend a godly legacy as believers. Friends, there's no greater privilege that I have than spending time with my wife and my kids, pouring my life out on them. Parents, what a privilege we have. Amen? Amen. Now, the reason we have two main scriptures here today is because what happens when your kids get older? What happens when they leave the house or you leave the house and your parents are still at home, but you're no longer there, do you still honor and respect them and revere them the same way you did when you were a child in the home? I mean, what happens to uh, when your siblings are older and you no longer live together, you all are doing different things in your life, you believe different things? What happens then? Here's a simple answer of how we, how we still revere our parents. Hear me, if you're a child of a, all of us have some type of parent, No matter how old we get, we should still honor and respect our parents. That should never go away. Never. I mean, to this day, I bet not, not better not, I bet not call my mother Marilyn. And I bet not call my father Derek. That's something we don't do. Irregardless of who they are or what they've done to me, I still respect them and honor them. But hear me, there's a big difference in giving honor to your parents and having deep fellowship with your parents when you're older. And that goes for your siblings or your relatives too. Now let me break this down a bit. Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50. We read this in the beginning. And we see how to deal with family members in general in this passage. Again, this is a tough one. 
This is a tough one, especially for the Christian, because sometimes when living for Jesus, when you really, I mean, you really start living for Jesus and you take ownership of your faith. And what I mean about ownership by your faith is that it ain't your mama's religion or your daddy's religion, but it's yours. Your walk looks different than theirs. What you do looks different than them. I mean, and your faith may become a little deeper than theirs. I mean, sometimes when this happens, you might get a little pushback. You might get some pushback from your family members, and they might, so to say, try to bring you to your senses. You're off. They, they, they bring you to your senses, whether they're believing or unbelieving parents, and this happens with family members outside of your parents, too. I mean, see, when looking at this passage, that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is beginning his ministry, and his mother and brothers come to him. They're trying to talk to him. Joseph, his daddy, is probably dead about this time. That's why he's not mentioned in the text. And when they come to him, they might be just trying to get Jesus to come home because as the oldest, it's his job to take care of the family. But on the other hand, we know according to Mark chapter 3, verse 21, they already think that Jesus is out of his mind. They think that he's crazy. So they're trying to grab him and come home, bring him to his senses. And Jesus responds in this text and he says... Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now the question is, what is Jesus saying here? What is he saying here? Because I think one could easily look at this and say, well, is Jesus disowning his family? Is he saying disregard the needs of your family, don't take care of them? That's not at all what Jesus is saying in this text. That's not what he's saying there. But he is acknowledging the fact that although they are my family, they are my blood, there is a deeper and closer bond with those that are here with me, that believe the same thing, that are on the same journey with me. Let me put it this way. Sadly, one of the tragedies of the Christian walk is that once people really start running for Jesus, family members sometimes never really understand, never really understand and can think that you're throwing away your life. You're throwing away your life because of the decisions you're making or the zeal that exudes off of you. Let me ask you, you, you ever felt any type of pushback before? From family members, and I'm not talking about silly decisions you make, I mean, but have you ever, I mean, you, you really started running for Jesus, you started giving up things in your life, you're doing this and you're doing that, you're not doing anymore, this anymore, and, and you're getting pushed back, like, nah, he'll be listening to rap music next week, he's going to be back at the bar with me next week, all these different, I mean, have you ever got some pushback from your family before? For instance, in, in my family, I love my family, I love all of them. We get on each other's nerves, but I love them. But they thought I was crazy when I left my full scholarship to to the business school at at Indiana University on the table and and I went and did a double major in something that was less impressive and went into full-time ministry. They thought I was crazy. They were like, can't you be a businessman and a pastor at the same time? I'm like, yeah, maybe, but that's not what God wants me to do right now. 
That's not where God is leading me right now. And, and, and at the time, God wanted me to invest my life on this campus with these students in a ministry that we started that's still running to this day. And it's the largest one of its kind in the country 10 plus years later. See, God wanted me to do something else on the campus that everybody didn't understand. Now looking back, my family is probably like, yeah, God wanted you to do that because they can see the results. But at the time when I was doing it, they thought I was crazy. Have you ever felt that type of pushback from your family before? The folks that are closest to you are supposed to be closest to you. This all goes along with what we talked about last week when we were talking about friendship. And although family members, they may be blood, they're not always close or intimate friends. They're not always close or intimate friends, which can be tough. That can be tough because we, we want to always think of our family as very close, but just because they're blood doesn't mean they will be close or as close as some of the people in your church or that have the same beliefs as you, that are, have the same goals as you, especially if they don't believe like you do. One commentator writes this, this way, and he adds to this idea of friendship that we've been talking about. He says, friendship is found in on a common ideal, number one. People who are very close or very different in their background, their mental capacity and even their methods can become firm friends if they have a common goal or a common ideal from which they work from and towards which they press. And number two, friendship is founded on a common experience and on the memories from which come from it. It's when two people have together passed through some great experience and when they can go together and look back on it, that's when real friendship starts to happen. Number three, true love is founded on obedience. You are my friends, Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 14. We read this last week and walked through it, which we saw in our passage. That there, There's no way, hear me, there's no way of showing the reality of love unless by the spirit of obedience. For all of these reasons, hear me, true kinship is not always a matter of flesh and blood relationship. It's not. It, it, it remains true that blood is a tie that cannot be broken, and it's true that most people or some people find their delight and their peace in the circle of their family. But it is also true that sometimes our nearest and dearest to us are the ones that understand us the least. And what happens is that we find our true fellowship with those who work for a common ideal and who share a common experience. Now, hopefully, friends, this is helping you with kind of thinking through how you navigate through relationships with your family, especially for the Christian. Because even if the Christians find, you, you find that, that those who should be closest to you, your family, are only close to you out of sympathy towards you, the great truth is that there remains for them fellowship from Jesus Christ and, and, and friendship from all of those who love the Lord. See, this is why a believer, as a believer, you might tend to gravitate towards your family of faith, this fellowship, your, your church body, and, and the people here rather than your family and friends before Christ because there's a deeper commonality that you share with one another that revolves around Jesus. Now, friends, hear me. I, I know this is tough. It, it, it's tough. It's tough to navigate 
Because what do you do when Thanksgiving rolls around? What do you do when everybody wants to have a get-together and you're at the house and nobody believes or thinks the way you do? What do you do then? Hear me. This is, this is where you get to cross the line. This is where you get to engage. This is where you get to fellowship with them, not allowing your emotions to get tied up in everyone or everything that's happening in the room as you might not agree with everything there. Or you might not want to be there at all. This is where you get to cross the line. Hear me. You being around speaks volumes to people. And you never know who's looking at you trying to see if Jesus is real. And the real Jesus, we read a scripture, when we see Jesus, y'all, y'all, he, he was a guest at many parties. He was at the events, and, and, and he probably didn't agree with everything that was happening there. I mean, you look at John chapter 2, at the beginning of his ministry, he's at a wedding, and there's no more wine left. This means that everybody was probably drunk as skunks there. But Jesus does not leave the party. In fact, he actually makes more wine. And it's not him advocating the fact that we should be getting drunk. Point being is that Jesus is enjoying the celebration with others and people get to see the humanity of Jesus. And in doing so, guess who's at the party? Guess who's with him? His mother and his disciples. The same mother who thought he was crazy. She's sitting there with him. This is the beginning of his ministry. And three years later, although mama thought he was crazy, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And where's mama? She's at the foot of the cross kneeling. Those two brothers, the brothers that thought he was crazy, James and Jude become some of the leaders of the church. They write two of our New Testament books. Friends, my point is don't be weird or get in your feelings around your family. Don't act as if you're holier than thou or try to explain everything to people because we still have some flaws. And and the only fact that we're saved is because it's by the grace of Jesus Christ. It's nothing you bring to the table. And the truth of the matter is that your family knew you when you weren't saved or mature. So for some of us, there ain't nothing that you can say. They, They just need to see the change for themselves. And that takes time. Friends, hear me. Cross the line. Be in their world. Engage them. Pray for your family. Ask questions. Let them ask questions of you. Hear me. There's nothing better than being able to have a deep level conversation with family members where there's a blood relationship, but also a spiritual relationship. But that spiritual relationship may never happen if you run them away by acting like a crazy emotional Christian. I mean, one of the great joys of leading this church throughout the last three years has been to see my family, the same family who thought I was crazy, but by me walking in front of them, and I don't have it all together, but walking in front of them, continually staying prayerful and allowing them to see my walk, not talking too much because they knew me when, but allowing them to see me by looking for opportunities to share the good news with them, part of my family is here at the church. They attend this church, and part of them have joined. I mean, it was a joy to be able to baptize my cousin and his wife, to dedicate their two daughters to the Lord, pastor my father and pray for him, who I have not really been close with most of my life. 
It's a joy when my mother calls me every week after the sermon is up and she's going to give me her critique. No, no joke. Every Monday morning, I can, I can get a call from my mother and she's going to let me know whether she liked the sermon or not. And then she tells me about her, her fellowship down there and how she goes to Bible study every week and how she loves everything about her ch- church that she's joined. And then I get the joy to see my mother-in-law here with me this morning, helping set up and be a part of our church too. I mean, there's no greater joy than be able to see all of that. See your family running with you and and running alongside and loving the Lord too. That took time. Friends, family is hard. It's very hard to cross the line with them sometimes when it should be the easiest, but it's very hard. But I urge you to continue to cross lines with them, engaging them. And when it gets hard, because it will get hard, lean into your church here. Lean into your family of faith here, your groups. That's why you have the fellowship of believers, to pray for you, to encourage you, to challenge you, to be a sounding board when you're about ready to snap. But friends, don't stop engaging your family. That's not biblical. And, And hopefully, by you continually crossing lines with them, Like I said before, you won't only have a blood relationship, but you'll also have a spiritual relationship. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.